Hello, my name is Yael Shafrir, and I'm delighted and honored to be hosting this Focus on Francophone session with our good friends from Linklater's Paris and with Bruce Dickinson from Web Wainsel. Uh, maybe before we kick off, let's just make some brief introductions. So on the Linklater's Paris side, uh, we have Bertrand Andriani and Justin Fay, and on the Web Wenzel side, we have Bruce Dickinson. Maybe let me just give some brief introductions, although you can link into the bios uh, directly. So Bertrand is Linklater's Paris Managing Partner. He heads Linklater's Banking and Projects Practice in Paris and co-heads Linklater's Francophone Africa Group. A large part of Bertrand's practice in the past 35 years has been project development and project finance in France and in Francophone Africa, where he's worked on some of the most challenging first-in-country transactions. Justin is a counsel at Linklater's Energy and in Infrastructure Practice in Paris, and he works alongside various actors, sponsors, commercial lenders, DFIs, on the structuring, acquisition, and financing of projects in the energy and infrastructure sectors, particularly in Francophone Africa. And last, and definitely not least, we have our own very own Bruce Dickinson, who's a senior M&A mining partner, um, who specializes in M&A in the mining sector, structuring of mining companies, and development and operational aspects. He's also been involved in a large number of investments in Sub-Saharan Africa and transactions in a majority of resource-rich jurisdictions. Okay, gents, let's kick off. I think before that, just say we're really delighted to have you here, especially as we celebrate the 10-year the of our alliance this year, which is an incredibly special one. Maybe just to give a little bit of background uh, for the audience. I mean, the reason why we chose to focus on this topic is we've seen a real increase in flows uh, by our clients investing in Francophone Africa or French-speaking Africa. And we thought it'd be a nice topic to explore in more detail. Maybe before we get into our specific questions, I just wanted to position things a little and say, you know, there are really 29 countries in Africa where French is spoken. And in 21 of those, French is the official language. I'm not gonna go through all the countries. I'm sure everyone in the audience uh, can look that up on Google. But what I thought was a really interesting feature of Francophone or French speaking Africa is the large number of regional groupings, albeit economic or legal groupings. And I think with that in mind, my first question is for you, Justin, maybe you can just position for the audience, you know, what do we mean when we speak about Francophone Africa? You know, what legal regimes are applicable and important to consider, you know, when doing business in the region? Over to you, Justin. By Francophone Africa, we basically mean all of those countries, 29 countries that you mentioned, who speak where French is spoken either as a, an official language or as the, let's say, the first language. Um, geographically speaking, uh, you will find those countries in the West, Central and North Africa. Uh, what is important in this and interesting from a legal perspective is that uh, 17 countries uh, among those are member of the OHADA Organization for the Harmonization of Business Law in Africa. Uh, and the, 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 particular, uh, the particularity of OHADA is that in many areas of law, uh, we have a uniform uh, 
legislation applying across those countries uh, and, do, and, and, and which make doing business really easier in those countries. It's the, it's the case for business law, security, arbitration, or even um, insolvency proceedings. So in Congo or in Senegal, it, you will have to deal with the same legislation, the same uniform OHADA Act applying in those countries. We also have CIMA on insurance matters. This is also a regional grouping of many countries in Africa uh, where the regulation of uh, insurance related matters is uniformly uh, applied in, across member countries. On a more regional level, um, in West Africa, you have the, um, the, uh, the organization uh, for, on, on, on um, the organization of uh, economic and monetary union, uh, regrouping many uh, African countries in the uh, in the in the West uh, in the West region. You have the equivalent in Central Africa with CMAC. Uh, there again, you will have foreign exchange matters regulated at a regional level, and this also facilitates uh, doing business. Or, or, or dealing with uh, dealing with um, uh, foreign exchange matters in those countries. Many thanks, Justin. You know, I, I really think it's an interesting feature, and we haven't even started talking about the AFCFTA. You know, a real understanding on how to navigate. You know, these regional economic communities will become a really important area of capability going forward. Thank you so much. I'd like to move over now to the area of investment, you know, which is really the key topic that we're, we're talking about here and looking at the sources of investment sectors and the trends. And I just wanted to reflect a little bit in terms of what we are seeing from Weber Wenzel perspective. You know, in recent years, Weber Wenzel has really seen a marked interest, uh, both by South African and international clients banks, institutions, corporates to invest or operate in Francophone jurisdictions. You know, if I look at it for myself, if we are looking eight to 10 years ago, you know, South African players were a little more cautious about looking at Francophone Africa. They started, you know, dipping their toes. I mean, many of them have been there for many years, but many others started dipping their toes in, in more English speaking jurisdictions. Uh, where they were more comfortable with the language and the culture and legal system. Uh, but, you know, if we, we look more recently, as I've said, we've really seen increased investment by international players and renew, renewed FDI. And these have, have taken different uh, shapes, you know, albeit multi-jurisdictional deals or JVs. And, you know, I, I just wanted to reflect maybe in the first instance from your perspective, Bruce, because you've been doing work um, you know, in francophone jurisdictions from a mining perspective for quite some time and jurisdictions such as the DRC and Guinea come to mind. Maybe you can just give us a little bit of a sense, you know, the kind of deals you've been involved in um, in those jurisdictions and tell us a bit about how, you know, a lot of these players are SA based. Um, you know, they, they do procurement from South Africa and, and some of the you know, some of the trends that you've you've seen in recent years. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, yeah. I think I think what we've tended to see is, you know, in the mining space is really sort of investment following commodity cycles. Um, so over a decade ago, iron ore was, was obviously particularly strong. 
and we saw continued investment, you know, in central through to sort of West Africa, particularly in sort of Guinean areas like that. Gold has tended to be a bit of a perennial in terms of attracting investment. And then through Central Africa and DRC in particular, the copper and cobalt. I think of late, you know, and there, there was, you know, a significant amount of, of M&A, particularly sort of 10 or so years ago. I think what we've seen more of late is project development and expansion of existing projects. So as the, the move has been towards sort of green minerals and green energy, um, so, you know, companies are seeing the value in investing further into the, the, the copper and, and cobalt projects in particular. Um, from an investment perspective, what, what we tend to see is, you know, a lot of internationals coming in and they, they're coming in directly um, into those countries, but also quite a few of them structuring, uh, for example, through South Africa or having elements of their business in South Africa, given that so many of the service providers to these mining operations are in fact South African based, be they sort of technical service providers um, or equipment service providers. So we, we, see, we, we see these linkages happening quite a lot. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, Bruce. Apologies. Um, Bertrand, turning to you, um, maybe you can tell us in some of the trends you've observed from a Linklater's perspective. I mean, I know when we've spoken, you know, we've, um, I understand that there's movements in terms of financial sponsors, we're seeing more investment funds, and maybe tell us a little bit about investors from emerging markets and what we're seeing in terms of special economic zones. Over to you, Bertrand. Thanks, Yael, for your question. Perhaps uh, before turning to the sources of uh, investment, uh, say a few words about sectors as well. I think like, uh, like Bruce, we are seeing uh, increased interest uh, in, the, in the mining sector. Um, we, we, we are on, on a number of very large uh, uh, iron uh, ore mines, uh, in particular Simondu uh, in, uh, in Guinea, which, uh, which is uh, the, the world's largest, uh, but also seeing uh, you know, an increased interest in, uh, in cobalt, uh, which obviously is a strategic uh, ore and uh, which is becoming of uh, a lot of interest, it's in particular in the context of the energy transition. Um, energy is is also obviously the uh, one of the main areas of investment in, uh, in Francophone Africa at the moment. Uh, there is uh, obviously a fossil energy, but increasingly these days uh, uh, we are seeing lots of difficulties in supporting fossil energy, and therefore we are we are seeing a clear shift towards re renewable energies. Lots of solar, as you may imagine, uh, being in that region of, uh, of Africa, uh, but also quite, quite a bit of, uh, of wind that is from, uh, from the north of Africa right down to, to Central Africa. There is uh, you know, uh, equal interest uh, everywhere. We are seeing also a bit of biomass increasingly as well. Um, and uh, uh, the, perhaps the most recent development is the interest of a number of uh, uh, developers in uh, green hydrogen. Uh, which is also uh, you know, an important uh, source of, um, of energy, which is expected to be, uh, to be quite active in the, in the coming uh, years and for which Africa presents a number of advantages, in particular in you know, space uh, to, uh, to, to, to build those facilities. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, we, we, we are doing a lot of also in the infrastructure sector, uh, roads, bridges, uh, uh, ports, uh, uh, airports, although obviously with the current crisis, a, a little bit less of that uh, and increasingly more difficult to, uh, to, to finance, as a matter of fact, at least with, uh, with uh, West, uh, West financial, uh, Western financial institutions. Uh, 
uh, and rail, but rail is is um, uh, almost uh, invariably linked to uh, to investment in the mining sector. And then with the crisis in the oil and gas sector, uh, uh, you know, the current crisis uh, in uh, in Ukraine and Russia, we expect the oil and gas sector to be uh, to be also coming back very strongly in uh, in, the, in the in the next few months. Uh, so in terms of sources uh, of investments, so, so we are seeing uh, uh, investors, uh, we, are, we are increasingly seeing South African investors and South African banks uh, uh, following uh, their clients, but also actually, you know, call calling on uh, in Francophone Africa and offering their services. So that's an interesting uh, development. Uh, we are seeing also a, a lot more uh, African investors, uh, so especially in the DFI, uh, sector, so uh, you know the likes of uh, Africa 50, Africa Finance Corporation, um, uh, uh, obviously the the, uh, the the usual African Investment Bank, etc., Africa Development Bank. So all of that is uh, is changing a bit uh, the, uh, the the perception. Uh, you know, it's no longer a market driven by by Western investors, uh, but uh, increasingly also by by African investors. Uh, same in terms of uh, funds. Uh, lots of infrastructure funds active in the air, in the region, uh, French ones like Meridian, uh, South African ones like uh, like AIM, um, institutional, uh, even some private equity uh, firms like Carlyle, for example, uh, becoming uh, more more active in the region. Uh, so all all of that uh, you know, gives us a, a much more diversified uh, market with uh, transactions uh, of all types, corporate projects. Uh, uh, lots of litigation uh, flowing for from uh, you know for construction contracts needed to to build those projects etc. So a very active market and uh, you know really exciting uh, opportunity for for our firms. Thanks, Bertrand. I mean, really comprehensive and insightful response. Thank you. I think just to add, you know, some of the sectors that haven't been mentioned that we've been seeing, you know, we've also seen um, activity in media. In, um, I mean, we've mentioned ESG, but also healthcare and telecoms and insurance. Just wanted to add to those. Um, you know, moving on to our final area of discussion is is the one of key issues, and I just wanted to to ask all of you, um, you know, starting off with Bruce, you know, from a mining perspective, what are the key issues? that you've been involved in or you've seen in the transactions you've been involved. You know, I know you have a lot of experience dealing with the issues around communities and indigenization issues and also your work around structuring. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about the issues that you've been seeing in recent years, Bruce? Thanks, yeah. I, I think first and foremost, the sort of the, the headline issues around sort of structuring, so cross-border structuring, so how, how companies are, are structuring their, their investment into the particular sort of investment destination. Um, there's obviously a lot more scrutiny of those structures, you know, post Panama Papers, et cetera. Um, and those structures are being scrutinized by local authorities very, very heavily. I think likewise, in terms of the development of the projects themselves in country, a lot of structuring around the, the sort of localized elements of those versus offshore elements and how those can be you know, efficiently structured to the benefit of all the project developers um, and also the service providers in relation to the development of those projects. Um, other areas that we see quite a lot of it, you know, advice around is 
particularly as, as ESG gains momentum, is that ability to deal with, for example, host communities efficiently and effectively. And I think one of the key things is, you know, coming from a South African background, we've got 20 plus years experience of developing these structures um, based on our sort of history and, and the legislative requirements within our country. And we're tending to see more and more, um, particularly in the mining space, our mining companies operating in the likes of the sort of DRC and so on leaning on that experience in terms of how do they engage with key stakeholders, how do they set up um, community structures, um, how do they ensure economic succession planning around those sort of community structures and so on. So those are uh, you know, a couple of the sort of key areas where we've been providing advice. Thanks, Bruce. And thanks so much for giving the insight also on the increasing role that we're playing. You know, obviously, I, and one thing I haven't mentioned, I think we're increasingly also being asked to quarterback a lot of those those transactions, you know, that we're seeing. So I think interesting developments there. Um, Justin, turning to you, I think the one area we touched on earlier, and I wanted to get your views on, we often see, you know, with, with the regions having a lot of these regional groupings and legal uh, regimes at a regional level, how does one deal with the fact that you might have uniformity at a regional level, but things are then the practical implementation is different at a country level? Uh, you know, we've experienced some of that around for example, but it'd be good to get your insights. Sure, thank you, thank you, Yael. Um, that, that, that's a very good point indeed, uh, because these regional organizations are, are, are here to actually ease uh, the way we do business in all of those countries. But when it comes to putting them in practice, in, in practice you, you, you may want to, or you may need to, 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 to take that into account in your, into your structuring. A good example of that is the cost of taking security, because usually when you structure a security package, you will want to take um, everything that you can uh, in terms of uh, in terms of assets, and that's where uh, the regional legislation can uh, can be can be short, uh, basically because the cost of security in in OHADA member countries is something that is dealt with at a um, at a country by country. And you, you, you need to, 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 to be aware of that, uh, of the cost that it can represent to take security in a given country, which would not be the case in another one. In some countries, the cost can be up to 2% of, uh, of the amount that you need to, that you want to secure. So that's something you, 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 you always need to take into account when structuring your deal. Another example would also be on, um, on the required authorization to, uh, to open and maintain uh, offshore accounts uh, in, in, in a number of deals, the, uh, the stakeholders will want uh, an offshore account structure. Uh, but when you go, for example, in, uh, in West Africa um, and within the, uh, within, within the YMO member countries, that's something in practice some governments or, 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 or some uh, country representative will tell you that this is not in our hands. And so getting the required authorizations uh, may, be, may be difficult, although uh, the, the, uh, the, the principles are, are clearly set out in the regional legislations. Thanks, Justin. Um, Beth, I'm turning to you and your extensive experience. I mean, there's so many questions that I would want to ask you. I think the one that we've discussed before that I found a really interesting one I wanted to kick off with is, you know, some of the key challenges for our clients is dealing with political instability um, 
and you know we've seen in jurisdictions where you you know have been involved you know extensively like guinea you know that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with similarly in jurisdictions like mali i mean could you give us a little bit of insight of how you deal with with those issues and give clients comfort and please raise any other issues that you think are really pertinent to address well, I think uh, I mean obviously that's a, that's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, um, the uh, it's true that um, uh, for for good or for bad, we we have seen a number of uh, uh, military rebellions over the last uh, few years, in particular over the last couple of years. Uh, that years there have been not less than four coup or attempted coup. Uh, so in uh, in Guinea Conakry, uh, in Burkina Faso, in Mali, and Guinea Bissau. Uh, so all of those, uh, you know, four, four, three out of four have been uh, successful, and uh, the military junta is now in place, uh, uh, which doesn't give the best image uh, of democratic uh, transition in the region. Uh, however, perhaps uh, you know there is a history in the region of, uh, you know, I mean, in the past of other coups having having taken place, often uh, with uh, support from uh, from abroad. Uh, in the case of this recent coup, I think there is something which can be said about them is that. Uh, uh, number one, they tend to be supported by the local populations, so, so they, they, they are, uh, you know, they, they are not uh, uh, taken badly uh, by the, the local populations. They tend to be a reflection of the weak uh, democratic uh, transition uh, that uh, these, uh, these countries are are uh, living through, uh, and, um, and 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 in all all cases, the coup have not have I wouldn't say been completely violentless, but uh, relatively uh, mild in terms of use of violence, and uh, uh, in all cases, the military junta has uh, um, has opened a uh, what they call a transitional period, uh, where they assume uh, the the you know the, the theory of a succession of state uh, state succession, that is to say, they assume uh, all the uh, the, 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 in particular, all, all the business deeds uh, that have been made by the, the previous government. So, so in terms of business, it tends to be business as usual, if anything, if any such things exist. Uh, and uh, there is no immediate impact. On top of it, all, uh, all junta uh, have indicated that uh, their uh, objective is uh, to come back uh, to a reinstallment of the uh, constitution, or at least of a new constitution, and uh, the organization of uh, free elections. Uh, whether that will be the case in all countries, obviously, is yet to be demonstrated. But certainly, our experience, uh, for example, in uh, in Guinea, uh, the, the, the example you, you just gave, uh, is that uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 military coup is uh, is not uh, significantly impacting uh, the uh, the ability to do business uh, in country. And uh, um, what is true is that it does have an impact on the way you do business. I mean, it's obvious that you don't. Uh, you don't negotiate uh, in the same manner with uh, with a uh, civil government or with a military government. There are necessarily implications, uh, but uh, the important thing is uh, that the objective is to come back to normality in a few years. Many thanks, Bertrand. As I said earlier, I'm sure we could spend many hours discussing, you know, all of these issues. But you know, we wanted to give our audience a taste, um, you know, of the interesting topics and themes. And on that note, I just want to say thank you very much to, to the three of you for participating in the session. Many thanks to Africa Legal for collaborating with us. And feel free to join, to connect with any of us if you have any questions regarding this topic. Many thanks and all the best. Goodbye.